fundamentally, whoever you are as a person has a lot of really good stuff and maybe some not so good stuff. But the thing is that if you understand, if you basically just take the time to reflect on where the good stuff comes out, why it comes out, with whom it comes out, you'll be able to find patterns that are going to help you to basically be more of that person that is the good part that you want to be more often than the rest. Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, Episode 553. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I am so happy to have you here with us today. And I'm thrilled to introduce today's guest, Arthur why don't you say it the real way, Arthur? The real way? Yeah. Karmazi. Okay. I have yet to be able to roll an R. So you make it sound so beautiful. Karmazi just sounds so American. <laughs> well, it is. You know, yeah. Like, hey. Yeah. I rolled my R's by accident once, and then I tried all day to do it again, and I just couldn't do it. Kar- nope. I still can't do it. I just tried. But... <laughs> Arthur, everybody, is the Chief Awesomeness Officer at DCI. You're on the other side of the world from me. I want to thank you for working with me time zone wise, but I would love for you to share more about what Chief Awesomeness Officer, what does that actually mean? And I know how you became an entrepreneur. I'm so intrigued, but I want you to share that story with the listeners as well. Wow. Well, let's see. Okay. I mean, first of all, the Chief Awesomeness Officer, of course, means that you build awesomeness in others because that's the whole point, right? You build awesomeness in your clients. You build awesomeness in your people. You build awesomeness in people that you meet on the street or even that see your stuff online. So that's the awesomeness part of the chief's awesomeness pop. (laughs) Now I can't say it Yeah, now I spread it to you. (laughs) We need more. We need more CAOs. A lot more. Like when I go to the store, I just want to inject people with awesome because, you know, they're walking down the aisle and they're just frowning. It's like, come on, I you, know. you get to be here today. Yes, I understand that it's crazy, but you get to be at the store. So how about a smile? And I'll smile at them and they look at me back like, oh, my gosh, what drug are you on? <laughs> Or especially, have you ever gone into an elevator and instead of looking at the numbers or the door like everybody else does, you turn around and you look at everybody else. That really freaks people out. And you smile at them. Oh, my gosh. I have never done that. I'm going to have to do that now. You have to do it. It's really fun. Oh, my gosh. I was watching Ghost a couple weeks ago, Patrick Swayze, Demi Moore. And Mm -hmm. Patrick Swayze and the other guy are doing their little joke about... Okay, it's not a joke, people, I understand, but he has an STD, and they're just making everybody else in the elevator uncomfortable. And people just aren't, like, they are too quiet when anybody else is around, and they don't want to be heard, and they don't want to make other people happy. And I'd, I've always found that hilarious, like, not <laughs> given the nature of the content, but why can't we just have some, some more fun? But okay, I want to get back to what you injecting, well, I'm using the word injecting, awesome means, but let's take it back a little bit further before we get there. I know 
Well, I'm just going to share what I know a little bit, but you became an entrepreneur in first grade when you sold tattoos. Yeah, that was my very first one. I had like, uh, uh, they were five cents for the regular ones. And then I had like super special ones for a quarter. Okay. So what was it? Did you just draw your own design? Yeah, I just, That's yeah awesome. you just draw with, uh, with the, uh, those markers that were watercolor based markers. And then you licked your, you licked your arm and then you would paste them on there and then they would have color on your arm. That would be that image. Oh, that's hilarious. I love that. I should not ever let our my kids listen to this because they will be doing that. But then you took it a little bit further because I know from your bio. Okay, listeners, I confess I'm cheating a little bit and I'm reading for the bio. You bought your first car in eighth grade. Yep. How? Bubble yum. Were you bubble yum? Okay, I forgot about that part. So you were not still selling tattoos, but you were selling bubble yum. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, back. See, I'm a little bit old, right? So when I was going to school, there was no no concessions at the school. So you basically, you would buy your lunch, the school would have the lunch, but there was no kinds of sweets or candies or anything like that. So I, I was in seventh grade, I was actually carrying a briefcase and everybody made fun of me because half of the briefcase was filled with bubble yum and, and the other part was filled with books. Um, and then I would, by the end of the day, I would be completely finished with the, with the bubble yum out of this briefcase. And you know, it would be, I'd buy it for nine cents each pack and I'd sell it for a quarter. And then for people that didn't have money, I would loan them at literally a hundred percent interest that they would have to pay next day. And if they didn't, they'd get blacklisted and they couldn't buy anymore. That's brilliant. I love that. My school didn't have uh, vending machines either. I'm not going to ask you how old you are, but <laughs> just before this episode airs, I'm turning 40. So, yeah, you could you could buy your lunch, but there were no vending machines. I mean, I can't even – it makes me sort of sick what my kids can buy at school right now. Like, they have coolers full of caffeinated soda. I mean, the, the teachers are setting themselves I – and mean, I know it's not the teacher. It's the PTA or whoever who's just looking for ways to earn money. But, hello, you're never going to get them to focus if you give them all that caffeine. <laughs> well, but, especially the sugar. Actually, caffeine actually can help focus. It's the sugar that uh, distracts from focus. True. Very true. But I just it, – it's just so, so bad. I actually got a paper out when I was 11. That was my first job besides babysitting. And I remember having my little purse that I would take in with all the change I had collected. I used to drive my mom crazy because she didn't want me going out and collecting the money. It was before online ordering people. Uh And I would take my change to school because I wanted to, well, I guess we did have, you know, you could buy ice cream sandwiches or whatever. And I was tired of seeing all the other kids get theirs and I never had money for it. So I got a job so I could buy snacks and then everybody else wanted me to buy snacks from them. And that sort of started me being overly generous and giving all my money away. <laughs> but okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. Charity at a very young age. Uh-huh. Yeah. Do you believe that there can be such thing as too much charity? Yes, I do, actually. I, I mean, at one point, I mean, it just depends on what you're, if you're giving something, it's the whole idea of teaching people to fish or giving them fish thing. I mean, it's the same thing. It's mm-hmm. nothing new. Okay, so just depends on how far and to what extent. And eventually, I mean, people take you for granted. Yeah. Yeah, teach people how to fish or teach, wait, wait, sorry, give somebody a fish they'll eat for a day, teach them how to fish they'll eat for life. Yeah, absolutely. 
I mean, that's it's today I'll tell clients, yeah, I can show you how to do it, but we're going to record it and I'm going to send you the video so that you know how to do it in the future. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I want them to succeed, but I want them to be able to succeed in the future when I am not available for a call too. So what happened after you bought your car in eighth grade? Like, I don't mean like, oh, you got your first girlfriend and all it. that. You wrecked it. <laughs> but how did your entrepreneurial journey progress? Wow. Well, okay. I mean, um, at one point, I ended up building this company in the United States where we would help organizations and individuals, essentially, uh, mostly lawyers of organizations and individuals reduce their liabilities and their taxes. And I grew it up to one of the largest, third largest company of its kind in in the United States. And uh, after that, I ended up uh, getting stabbed in Puerto Rico. And then I I re-looked at my life and I decided that uh, life was too short. And so I, I sold everything and I traveled around the world for three years and, and then I ran out of money. But during that three years, I had met this girl and uh, she was from Korea. So I followed this girl to Korea and that didn't really work out. But I was already in Asia and uh, started a company there and worked as uh, with with this as a consulting company, helping people to essentially start their own businesses in Korea, which which turned out quite good for a while and until the uh, the economic crisis. And then everything just kind of ended up not doing so well. But I, uh, I ended up moving to Singapore and I took one of the businesses that I started from there and and built it up in Singapore. And that one was the one that really took my life in a totally different direction because that one made me go about a half a million dollars in debt. Ouch. So I, I don't know if you've ever been to half a million dollars in debt, but it's no fun. Do not try this at home. Mm-hmm. I have not gone a half million, but I've gone 100,000 in debt. Again, hey, do not do to a business. And I will echo what you just said. Do not try this at home. <laughs> I think I made every single mistake that I could have possibly made. Well, that, that happens. Yeah, yeah. It was an e-commerce shop, and I thought that the more inventory I got, the more money I would make. But then I just it just escalated. I'll just leave it at that. Oops. Yep. Yep. Well, but then uh, from there, I, I ended up having to get a job. And I got this job for this uh, big con- conglomerate, and I was a department head. And what happened was that... After a while, you know, when, when you know when you first start working for a company, I mean, you're like really excited, and it's like, wow, you know, this is going to be great, and I'm going to have this great future, and and you're very excited about this whole new job thing, and I was excited, and I could see this whole future, and until about two and a half weeks later, when you know you start noticing that everybody's blaming each other, but you think, no, no problem, you know, I can make this work, it'll be great, and I come up with some really cool ideas, and. And, and then I, I'd go and, and talk to some of the other department heads. Hey, look, you know, we could do this and we could try this. And, and they'd look at me and like, dude, okay, you've got your department. We've got our department. You know, you do your thing. We'll do our thing. And I'm like, oh, man, no cooperation. But, I, you know, I knew I could make it. I knew I could make it. Four and a half months later, you know what happened? I'm afraid to ask. Without even realizing it, I started blaming people. Oh, 
And, you know, and, and, and people would come up to me and say, hey, Arthur, can you uh, help me with this? I say, look, you know, you do your thing. I'll do my thing. Mm-hmm. And I got sucked in. I got sucked into the whole culture. And that lasted for, for a while where I became a total underachiever. And that was really the epiphany that kind of started me on a new direction. Because one day, I mean, I just didn't like who I was. I looked in the mirror and I thought, man, you suck. And because of that, I started to talk to some of these other department heads, these bad people that, you know, I knew were making my life difficult. And I discovered something completely unexpected, that they were real human beings Mm. (laughs) and that they had real ideas and standards and everything. And they also wanted to do similar stuff to me, but they also, just like me, got sucked in. Right. And I thought, wow, okay, well, this is, this is totally, uh, I didn't realize, you know, because I'd always thought it was just, they're just bad. And, and these people are like that. And, and there's nothing I can do to change it because I couldn't quit because I needed the money. Isn't that such a revelation, though, when you realize that the other people are really not that much different from yourself? Ex- oh, it was. Yeah. It was a huge revelation. I was scrolling on Instagram over this past weekend, and I saw a post, would you rather be a celebrity or the best friend of a celebrity? And I sat there thinking for a second, I was like, well, on one hand, celebrity would mean fame and possibly money. But on the other hand, it would also mean paparazzi. I was like, okay, yep. I choose the best friend role, because I don't want the paparazzi chasing me all the time. And that's been in my head a lot. I binged watched this past winter watching Nashville, which I think has ended, and I don't know if you can get it over there. But it's about a whole bunch of country stars. And every time they leave their house, you know, they got the cameras right there. And it just really got me thinking, though, you know, these are people. Yes, they have beautiful voices or whatever industry they're in, you know, famous entrepreneurs, athletes, movie stars. These are just people who have skills. I mean, I have marketing skills, you know, amazing ones. But there's no paparazzi outside my door. And for that, I'm so thankful. <laughs> Which would you rather be, a celebrity or a celebrity's best friend? Wow. You know, I guess uh, I'd still rather be the celebrity because as a celebrity, I don't have to live in a place where the paparazzi hang out. True. I mean, I can choose wherever I want to live. I, mm-hmm. I mean, right now I live in Bali in a castle that I built. So, In a castle that you built. You can't just leave it at that. You need to expand more. I want to hear about this oh. castle. Oh, if it, the castle is Avalon. Okay, I mean, yeah, go figure. Arthur, Avalon, yep. you know. So anyway, the, uh, well, you know, when you're a kid, you want to do all sorts of cool things. So I've got these, like, you know, in the library, you've got bookcases that literally span the entire, uh, about 18 meters, and it's five meters high. So think so similar to uh, Beauty and the Beast library. That's exactly what I, w- I had in my head. Oh, my gosh, that's amazing. And then throughout the different rooms and stuff, there's these different secret passages and opening bookcases and walls that turn around and statues that you push in to access the secret passage hub. And plus, I mean, it's all carved into this volcanic stone mountain. Oh, my gosh, Arthur. Bali is on my bucket list. If I ever make it over there, I actually don't want to say if, when, can I come see your house? Because that's exactly what I want my dream house to be like. My husband husband looks at it a little bit more, he's not a pessimist, but he looks at it a little bit more pessimistically. He wants a 
a fallout shelter, but I don't want to call it a fallout shelter. I just no, want... don't call it a sh- fallout shelter. Call it a secret room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, and and within the secret room, I mean, you can have all sorts of little fun things going on with that, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm going to have to make this this board public, but on Pinterest, I actually have a dream house board where I've been saving all these things, like pop up stairs where like you think that. This is just a conventional stair that you go up, but if you lift up the stairs, there's actually another set that goes down. And cool. It just, yeah, yeah. Like, why shouldn't we have, I just want my secret mom den. You know, people talk about the men den. What, what is it called? Man, the man cave. cave. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Clearly, we don't have one in our house yet. But where's, where's the mom retreat? You know, I just want one of those. And if it has to be behind a locked secret staircase, then yes, please. <laughs> yeah. So how how did this come to be, though? Because it's not like, well, you wound up in Bali. Okay. But. Well, first of all, I was in Korea. Right. Okay. And then I was in Singapore and that's where I went broke. Uh-huh. But because I was, so anyway, I'm in this company, right? And I mean, at that time, I'm thinking it's got to be something bigger than the people. And so I started doing research and eventually the research led to what is now known as the directive communication psychology. So directive communication psychology is the science of group dynamics. It's how people act and react to each other in groups and basically how to influence and predict how people are going to act in groups. Okay, so this is used. So we use this with, uh, you know, organizations all around the world. And we actually have over 400 licensed directive communication psychology trainers and consultants and coaches in 18 different countries now. Wow. Wow. A whole bunch of companies that I worked for could have used that. (laughs) They still can. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I actually went through one of those jobs where I was really excited when I entered. And then two and a half weeks later, I'm like, what am I doing here? Because it was like two days in, the gossip starts. Oh, you don't want to talk to her. Yeah, I know. And, and you know, you don't even realize it because you're, you're, you're so excited. And this is what happens a lot of times. I mean, it's like people go into an organization. They're excited. They're passionate. And, you know, I mean, it's, if you think about it, I mean, it's the people who are the entrepreneurs or the bosses or the CEOs or whatever of an organization – when they hire somebody, they're paying them for their full potential. So let's just say, for example, you're paying somebody $5,000 a month and you're expecting that person to provide $5,000 a month worth of value because you have assessed their potential. Now, the thing is that you put them into a culture that literally turns them into an underachiever and you're shorting yourself. You're still paying them the $5,000, but because of a dysfunctional culture, sometimes you're only getting three or four thousand dollars worth of actual value because the culture takes away not the potential, but the desire to implement the potential with, you know, from that individual. Amen to that. Yeah, I felt that, too, and I never really understood what it was. And it's not your fault. I mean, it's not like you're purposely going to say, oh, I'm just going to not do this. It's just that you feel, oh, my gosh, if I do this, you're putting yourself in a situation where you become 
let more risk adverse. If I do this, I'm probably I, I, I might get blamed or if I do this, you know, I probably nobody's going to listen to me anyway or people don't trust me anyway. So why should I bother? Mm-hmm. And so it's, you've got all these innovative ideas that people have and, and, and these brilliance that stay locked up. Yeah. So when I when I graduated college, I was an interior architect in Manhattan and the interior designers, we had our own area. And the architects are, and the architectural technicians were on a different floor. I mean, simple stairs separating us. But I felt like all eyes were on me when I was not in my place. This is a creative industry. We're, we're designers and we're trying to make beautiful spaces and grand offices for these hedge fund companies in, in Manhattan. And even the partners in the and the business were like, what are you doing down here? It's like, shouldn't you be? And they never said it, but shouldn't you be back in your hole upstairs? It's like, well, <laughs> how are we going to make grand spaces and really expand and be innovative and provide the best service if just within our own team, there's no collaboration? Exactly. Yeah. So you got started, but how did it, what did the journey look like for you? How did it grow to where you are now? Wow. Well, I mean, first of all, the reason I moved to Bali Mm -hmm. was because I didn't have money. Yeah. Singapore is expensive. Right. So I had at least gotten to the point of where I got, okay, I mean, the first thing I did was basically I got well known. So I did as much PR as I could. I got on radio, got on TV, got a, you know, was doing articles in newspapers all the time. So that kind of helped to to kind of get me to a certain point. But then the next step was to franchise. And that required me to have more resources. And uh, so that means that, you know, you have to do all of the artwork and you've got to have all the, you know, super websites and you've got to have all of these different things that basically are going to show people how they can take your stuff and apply it so that they can also be successful. And so doing that in Singapore was completely cost prohibitive, especially since I was still in debt. So I looked around and, well, okay, so Bali was uh, the best choice. So the other option was uh, Phuket, Thailand. And Bali was great because, you know, it was here, it's in the, you know, like, I mean, there's this whole kind of spiritual thing and the, the energy is just really nice here. And the labor cost was a fraction of what it was in Singapore. And I could hire people and still, you know, work my way out of debt to, you know, do all of the programming for the websites and design and everything that needed to be done as far as collaterals went to create a real business that looked big. And so that's where that's why Bali in the beginning And from there, it was easier. I mean, you know, because your costs are so small Mm -hmm. that you can actually and and of course, that also not just low cost on on getting the uh, the people to help you. But because I could hire a cook, I could hire uh, people to, you know, take care of all of my stuff. So that means I could spend more time actually focusing on work. Uh, rather than focusing on, you know, doing my laundry or or cooking or anything like that. Absolutely. Listeners, I just want to let you know that for show notes and transcripts and 
links to where you can find Arthur. You can go to thekimsutton.com forward slash PP553 for episode 553. But I also want to invite you to go back to episode number six, which is so crazy to hear me say, like we're on episode 553 now. But episode six with Patricia Lohan, Arthur, she was from Ireland or the Republic of Ireland. I don't remember which one, but I did learn in that episode that they're different. And she moved to Bali with her husband and just hearing her talk about how she had her chef and the cleaner and and it was all just so inexpensive that she could put all of her energy into her business or into self-care, which to me that alone sounded awesome because there was no more running around having to do laundry and go to the grocery and all of that. I need one of those here. There you go. Yeah. Well, but, th- but things do change, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, then I got married. Yep. And then I had kids. Yep. And actually, building Avalon, one of the reasons was because I had kids. Because I, by that time, it took me, after moving to Bali, it took me two years to get completely out of debt. That's not bad, though, for a half million in debt. Well, pl- that yeah, that doesn't include the first two years in Singapore. Right. So, so there's still, you know... But the uh, at least it, it was a lot easier once I, once I was in Bali. But the next thing was, uh, you know, because I now have kids, right? And so I want to spend more time with my kids because at this time I'm like traveling all around the world and doing all these different things, and which is really fun. I mean, I love traveling still, but when you have kids, then you your priorities change. So building Avalon was actually, it's designed and built as a retreat center so that I could actually bring people to Bali rather than me go to them. Oh, that's such a fantastic idea. Because I, what would a plane trip over to the States? And I know it would depend on which coast. Let's just say New York. How long would that take you? Uh, 24 hours. Oh, yeah. So just bring everybody over to you. Keep on focusing on your zone of genius and let them travel. Well, and and Bali is a pretty good destination. Oh, yeah, I I wouldn't complain at all. Please pick me up out of this uh, 20 degree Ohio right now. Take me to Bali. Yes, please. I'll sign up in a second. And if you want to look at Avalon, you can go to corporateretreats.asia. Well, okay, that will be in the show notes, everybody. So what are you most passionate about in your business right now? I actually, you know, the latest stuff that we've been working on is how gamification affects organizational culture. And the most important thing is that, so, I mean, most of the work we've done is for these big giant companies, right? So, but now we've developed a lot of tools and apps and systems that can be applied to, you know, business of any size to develop their cultures. So we've got this whole gamification elements and and even a, a series. Okay, well, here, I mean, just for example, one of the reasons why organizations don't kind of go wrong after a while is because of their culture. So the first thing they got to do is they got to benchmark their culture. I mean, find out what kind of culture you already have. It doesn't matter what size company you have. Okay, if you're you know, a multinational with, you know, 40,000 employees, or if you're somebody that's, you know, got 17 employees, you still have a culture. The question is, where is it going and, and how are you doing it? So you establish a benchmark. So we developed a tool for that, which is called the culture evolution assessment or uh, evolution evaluation. So that helps you to know where you are and it helps you to see how you can help your culture evolve. So that's the first thing you got to do, right? 
The next thing is you got to figure out where there's problems in communication because that's usually the biggest things. And there's uh, one of the models that uh, is more well-known is the colored brain model. Now, colored brain is how your brain genetically processes information to get clarity or, or it's called the brain's ambiguity relief process. So, which this has nothing to do with, with your personality, but you'll notice that there's different ways, different literally physical processes that your brain uses in order to get clarity. And if your process of getting clarity is different than somebody else's process of getting clarity, sometimes you look at these people and you think, oh my gosh, this person's an idiot, or how can they possibly do it that way? But because for you, it's totally alien, but for them, it just seems like it's just common sense. And for you, it's totally against common sense. And so therefore, sometimes there's conflict, there's mistrust, and there's all these different elements that create turmoil uh, where there doesn't actually have to be any, where you can have more synergy rather than uh, expecting people to do something in a specific way where they won't say anything. They'll just say, yes, yes, boss, yes, boss, because they don't want to have the conflict. They don't want to deal with it, but they think that you're basically making them less effective by having them do it your way. I mean, for example, okay, there's um, chaotic processing is one of the processes. So in order for chaotic processing people to get clarity, they actually have to take action. They have to start moving. They have to start kind of like trying things and, and getting into stuff, right? Well, let's say somebody who, uh, for example, is uh, linear processing, they need structure. So they need to find structure and create structure and they won't even move until they find all the structure and get the clarity. And so you get two di these two different people that are trying to achieve the same thing and there's going to potentially be some issues and depending on which one's the boss, one of them is going to feel disrespected and they're going to feel disrespected. That means they're going to start to feel like, oh, they don't trust me. I don't feel, you know, and they end up becoming less engaged. Becoming less engaged means they become less performers and you end up losing money. That is all mind blowing. And I, I want to jump back to how you were talking about gamification. Well, this is all part of it, but yes, yeah, go ahead. sorry. How do you gamify communication? Ah, well, see, I mean, we've actually got a system for that. It's also, this is on the coloredbrain.com. So let's say, you know, it, let's say you've got a team of 20 people. Mm -hmm. Well, they can all take the test and be individuals, but that's not really going to help, right? So what you've got is you've got these, within this system, all the 20 people, as long as they use the same code, are in the same system. And it tells you like, oh, who's in your danger zone, which basically means people that you're going to have difficulty communicating with, whose danger zone you're in, which means they might have a little bit difficulty with you. And that also helps because sometimes you don't know, right? And you think it's like, now I know why this person avoids me. <laughs> that is so interesting. And the thing is, you can just click on somebody's picture and get additional insights. It'll say how to, for example, it'll, it's got a whole bunch of different options, but you can say how to be more productive with this person, right? And it'll tell you what to do. And eventually, if you, you know, because people don't have time to remember everything, but if it's just at a click of a button, after a while, it becomes second nature. You don't need to click the button because you already know you've done it a few times. Right. And you combine this with 
well, there's a couple other ones, but like one of them is called Squadly. Okay, now Squadly's performance measurement app, and this is kind of, um, this is the gamification element that kind of connects everything. So you connect the close or the improvement of communication and communication behaviors with Squadly because uh, anything that you do that is an app that has to be easy and simple and, and it's got to at least have some element of fun in it. And if it's not simple and if it takes too much time, nobody's going to use it. So this one basically just uses emoji and it uses awards. And everything is connected to some objective. But here's the thing. See, one of the key things that a lot of times people do is they they give awards and they give emoji and they give points for things that are actually finished. And and that's that is where a lot of the time the gamification elements go wrong. Okay, oh I finished this or I finished that. Well, you know, the problem is that Having to write down everything that you finish or that you need to finish or create checklists or anything like that, I mean, that takes time. That means you have to constantly be redoing the thing and everything else in it. And nobody's going to do that because they're busy doing important stuff. But if you actually, instead of measuring what I have achieved, because sometimes achieving that may take me three months, okay? And by the time I get there, it's like, oh, you know, it's motivation happens based on almost instant gratification. I mean, that's why Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat are, you know, so popular, right? Because yeah, you the get likes and comments. Exactly. And mm-hmm. and shares. It's like, wow, share, wow, yes, I guess like the golden ticket. Right. So when you have the instead of measuring, oh, I have finished this one task, and so that's your objective, you measure the behaviors that help you The behaviors and actions that you know are going to help you to achieve your bigger goals. Oh, my gosh. I'm loving this. See, because that can be measured on a regular basis Mm -hmm. every freaking day. So before I say something that's right on the tip of my tongue, I want to ask, do you personally have an app that allows people to track progress? Well, that's Squadly. Squadly, okay. We built all these. Okay, awesome. And these are like, that's why I said one of the things that I'm most excited about is because, and well, okay, now Squadly is, is one, okay, but now there's, there's another part before, before we get to Squadly, because Squadly is kind of the end that kind of puts everything together. And all of these are tied back to your culture, right? Because mm-hmm. the communication is part of your culture, but there's also another one. Let's say you're a, a leader or a manager. And as a leader or a manager, it is most likely that you want to be a good leader or manager. Mm-hmm. And because you want to be a good one, you've probably at least tried to learn something about how to do a, a good job at it. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes you think, yes, I am a caring individual that really supports my team. But if you ask the team, they think, oh, my gosh, my boss is a total control freak. And they won't tell you. And you never know. And you think you're doing this whole thing of being supportive and you're not really getting the results and you don't know why, but the team thinks that you're a control freak because, you know, like you're always there supporting them (laughs) and they take it wrong. And, but you don't know, so you can't change. So that's what we call a perception gap. And anybody in a leadership or management position, there's always perception gaps, the way they see themselves compared to how other people see them. 
And this is uh, an emotional drive assessment, okay, that identifies perception gaps. And one of the, of course, elements of gamification here is to close those perception gaps so that you, first of all, understand, oh, my gosh, that's why I'm not getting the results is because of this. You just gave me so much clarity on actually my last manager before I became a full-time entrepreneur seven years ago, because I can see now looking back at him that he was just so enthusiastic, but in general, the department just found him to be an extreme micromanager and just always in our face. <laughs> and, he, and he probably didn't even know it. He had no idea because nobody would say anything. Exactly. And so this is what this tool, okay, which you can also find at emotionaldrive.net. It's a perception gap assessment tool. And it also tells you where you uh, are, what to do. It gives you little hints depending on what areas your your gaps are in and stuff. And it tells you what you should do to close them and whatnot. And so you combine the culture evolution evaluation and you combine the colored brain tool and the emotional drive tool and you use Squadly to basically gamify all of this stuff. And at the end of the day, what's going to happen is you've got this little mini system that is super cheap that is going to help you to maintain and develop a high-performing culture. I want to ask, is, is Squadly limited to team goals and performance? Or can you check no. exterior goals and habits as well? Well, see, you, you put your own. OK, see, the thing is you design your own objectives. OK, okay? but the, like there's some training videos on there and everything and, uh -huh. and the way that we recommend to do your objectives. And also you, you can create your own awards and give your own awards points and stuff. And let's say, for example, if you are on a team, it's going to give you um, a ranking depending on how you set it. So let's say if you've got 20 people on your team, you might say, oh, OK, see who's in the top six of the team. Right. And, and so it'll is that, that way people are always striving to be in that top six. But here's the problem is that sometimes there's always going to be the same people and that's going to be a little demotivating for the other people. So you so the objectives themselves are also able to see, ah, OK, if I click on just this objective, then you maybe have a different set of people. But it also, if you're just doing it for yourself, it'll show you where you are, which is your which is the objective that you're basically doing the best in. I love that. Yeah, because if, you, if you're if you not on that list at the top, you can feel like, oh, you know. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying that I personally do it. I'm okay with that. Because I know that it, as long as I'm working as hard as I can, that's enough for me right now, you know. Great but if it's I get still, up it's there. that thing. Yeah. It's just being on the list. Uh-huh. You know, there was this... um this uh, competition that I participated in that I never expected to be in the top 20 because, you know, the people that were in it. But the very first day, I was number 19. And after that, I mean, I really tried hard. I never made it to, to the top 20 again after that. But I guess I was just an early starter, which got me, which got me. But that really motivated me just because of the other people that were on this list, right? I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is amazing. But but just being on just having that that sense of being on the list maintains a, a consistent set of motivations. So if you say, oh, OK, well, maybe overall you've got this, but maybe on uh, in, in this particular objective, these are the top three. And, you know, in this over here in this objective, you've got these are the top three. And, you know, you get a chance to 
see yourself on one of the top 10 or three or whatever lists uh, so that you have that consistent motivation to be more and more. I love that because it's understanding comparison syndrome a bit. I mean, you're talking to a podcaster here, so I know what my download numbers are, (laughs) but I want to be, you know, on the top podcasts. But I also realize that there, I'm using gamification in a different way, but there are ways that people are getting to the top that aren't necessarily the quote right ways, you know? So as long as I'm just watching my own metrics, great. But there is still that little bit of green in me that's like, oh, I want that spot. I know. Yeah, you mean there's black hat podcasting? Mm. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, and I'm sure, well, I would hope that you and listeners, and I, I don't doubt you, Arthur, but I'm all about quality over quantity. So just wouldn't feel as good to me. And I'm sure that with Squadly, it doesn't feel as good if you're sort of just fudging, you know? Don't put in the... Okay, I'm going to address my task list for a second. I used to have every single thing I needed to do in a day on my task list, and I would feel good by the check marks. But come on, let's right. be serious. Does cleaning my desk have as much clout as finishing building funnels for a client? <laughs> sure, it, it feels good and it looks nice, but it's not as like huge. So I don't care. Like I don't write things down like that anymore because it's... I want the important things on there. Yeah, and that's why we, you know, the only we only recommend you use about eight objectives in mm-hmm. Squadly, which are the big important things. How do you fare? And again, it's related to whatever. I mean, we have some companies that use it to get their people to live the company values. So the objectives are actually tied to the values. Others are again the behaviors related to creating specific objectives, the bigger uh, objectives of the organization. And so, you know, I mean, it's uh, you'd never bring it down into the task mm-hmm. uh, level because it gets difficult. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and time consuming. I finally just read the E-Myth in the past six months. I'd never read it before. And one of the th- points that stood out was uh, every position within a company should have performance metrics. I mean, for each position that I fill, I should have performance metrics. And mm-hmm. I'm sure you know this, but you know, as as the owner founder, we often fill more roles than we really should. So, <laughs> you know, I yeah. should have performance metrics for each of those, but then when a new person comes in and takes over that role, they get passed on. But it sounds like this would be a great tool for even helping with the performance metrics because then it's... Oh, it is. Yeah. I mean, you said that earlier and that just made it spark. And one person's performance metrics are completely unrelated to somebody else's. So I love that it's just a way of personally tracking and Yeah. Well, even, I mean, even for larger companies that do annual performance reviews, right? Mm -hmm. On the web dash, you can actually see the entire year of that person's performance based on the uh, awards and emocons and points that are associated with those that you you get. And and that includes negative emocons, right? Mm -hmm. Or or, sorry, emoji, right? So, I mean, sometimes you feel frustrated and, you know, you, of course, you also get to choose whether it's like public 
where everybody gets to see it, whether it's uh, like private to that person or whether it's private to just to you, right? So sometimes you don't want to send somebody a, hey, I'm really angry at you on an emoji. (laughs) 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 I'll keep my mouth shut on that. But um, you might want to like, hey, okay, you might want to talk to them about it. And then Uh you you put that in for your own reference so that you can identify where there are issues and stuff that, that are going on. But you've got this entire graph for the whole year. And on top of that, you can also have multiple teams on there. So you can see which are the teams that are performing better or which are, you know, the individuals within the teams that are performing better and and so on, depending on, again, which objectives you're looking at. Arthur, can you make a squad leave for families? (laughs) I I, I suppose I could. No, I'm just thinking about, you know. uh, Well, it's actually, you could use the same one. Yeah, I'm thinking, you know. just change the objectives. Chore tracking for kids, especially 16-year-olds who want to drive cars, you know? Come on, let's let's see that you have consistently hit the expectation. Or my husband and I are, to be totally honest, we're going through some recent communication, I don't want to say struggles, challenges, but it's mostly come because I've finally stepped out of a place where I was keeping my mouth shut for risk of hurting anybody's feelings. But I can, and that I'm sure happens, well, I'm not, I'm sure, like I've experienced in in company culture, people keep their mouth shut because they either don't want to be embarrassed or they don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But all that happens is that you start to feel like you're not being heard, but it's because you're doing it to yourself. Yeah. And also even Squadly itself has the option for 360 degree feedback. Mm. Oh, I love it. So, you know, and, and I mean, I used this to help my kids write books last year. Your kids write books. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my seven-year-old wrote a book called, well, he was seven at the time. He wrote uh, a book called Slappy the Crocodile, okay, available on Amazon. And uh, Dante, he uh, uh, last year wrote uh, his first book, which was called The History of Life, 50 Fun Facts to Make You Sound Very Smart. Okay, I want that. That's so amazing. And, you know, I mean, with Dante, it's even more amazing because he didn't even start talking until he was five. And, you know, all the doctors basically said that he was autistic and all of this stuff. And and then, of course, you know, I mean, he had some challenges in school. And yet here he is with his first book when he was 10 years old. How did he feel when that was completed? Well, oh, he's pretty proud. He's uh, he's still proud. And is he working on a second one? Not yet. He's still, right now, he's uh, working on marketing the one that he currently has. Wow. Wow. I'm blown away by that. What are you most excited about, Arthur, in the next 90 days? What am I most excited about? Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I mean, one of the programs we're doing is about how to gamify your life for success. Mm. And again, I mean, this is it's a similar concept where, you know, a, a lot of people have this um, this great mindset. They have the positive mindset. They work their asses off. They're doing stuff on a regular basis. I mean, they do it every single day. I mean, they know what to do. They have the skills. They've been to seminars. And they still can't get the freaking results that they know they should be getting. And this used to be me. And again, most of that happens because mindset does not equal psychology. 
And the thing is that you can have this whole positive mindset and work hard and everything else, but because you, the psychology of what's going on around you and you're not taking care of it and the, you know, how the environment is affecting you and how you're basically dealing with the whole, when you're looking at the whole um, implementation of what you're trying to do, it goes wrong because the psychology is not connected to what you're actually trying to achieve. And so this whole thing is basically designed to gamify creating environments that support your mindset and the results that you're actually trying to achieve. Oh my gosh, can you dig a little bit deeper into creating the environment? Okay, I mean, let's just look, for example, you have uh, friends, right? Mm -hmm. So your behavior with certain friends is different than your behavior with a different group of friends. Mm -hmm. And your behavior with these friends are different than they are with your family. And they're also different than how you are at work. You don't try to be different. The behaviors are brought out in you based on the environment. Mm -hmm. So you, if you understand how the environment works, you can create environments that are going to literally bring out the best of who you already are so that you can actually do the stuff that you're supposed to do. Oh, I'm so intrigued. I want to dive so much deeper into this. Can we have a part two where we dive super deep into this? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. And, and this one, you, you can go to psychologylifehacks.com for, the, uh, for this one. Okay. Again, that will be in the show notes. I've been doing so much personal development work already this year, and we're only a little bit into it. But one of the biggest challenges that I saw I was having was that, you know, people say we should have affirmations, which is all great. But if you don't believe them, then they're not going to do anything for you. Yeah. Right? So <laughs> yeah. it all starts with the belief. And I know people may create affirmations and mantras that they don't necessarily believe in wholeheartedly. And that's, you know, by repeating them over and over again, they'll sink in. But I do believe that you have to be in that supportive environment that will allow you to to really believe that what you're saying is true. And having come from a not so pleasant marriage and now being in an amazing one, two different husbands, by the way, not the same one, <laughs> like a husband, number one, was not a nurturer or a supporter as far as my business went. And I just didn't really feel like it could succeed. I saw it on paper that it could happen, but I didn't believe it because I wasn't in the right environment. And I know that might be exactly. different than what you're talking about. No, but. no, no, it's not. It's not. Different people have different motivators, different processes. I mean, even the way that you communicate, all of this stuff affects how you are affecting other people and how those people react to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with my husband, Dave, I feel like I could conquer the world if I wanted to. Well, I don't want to at all. And I, yeah, I'll just well, leave not it today. at that. No, no. I was going to make a joke about being the next president, but that's just not a rule oh, that I would oh, want gosh, here in the States. That's not even a, yeah. Yeah, that would be like punishment <laughs> versus an accomplishment. Yeah, but I do feel like anything could be possible. But I've also recognized that it's it's really just the environment. I mean, even just people that I could associate with friends wise. I mean, there's the ones that we see posting on social media all day 
that I always have a complaint, right? And I've had to not unfriend, but unfollow some of them just so I'm not seeing it. Because seeing too much of that, or any of it in my case, it's like I'm dropped down four notches as far as ambition and motivation and just optimism goes in any given day. And I want to stay you know, on the top rung of the ladder. I'm not saying that I'm always on the top rung, but I don't want other people's pessimism bringing me down. So- I totally understand. And, and this is one of the reasons why I don't watch or read news. Mm-hmm, me neither. Yeah. My husband's office is in the bedroom. And if I go in there, most of the time I put my earbuds right in because he's all about the news. I'm like, no. not <laughs> Yeah, I, I just don't need that because there's well- so much good. Yeah. At least uh, if there's something important, he'll let you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or I'll learn about it off a fluke social media post that slipped through. Uh, you've got this magnificent library. I did sneak over and look at the website, by the way. Avalon looks absolutely gorgeous. What are you reading right now? Actually, I'm re- rereading an old book called Hook, Spin, Buzz. I have never heard of that. Oh, it's brilliant. It's Basically, I mean, it's a sales book, but it applies to copywriting, it applies to communication, it applies to all sorts of influence in general. I mean, if, if you, you know, if, if you've ever read Caldini's book, uh, Influence, I mean, this one, it's, it's just a great book. You just got to read it. I have to admit, I have not read it. It is on my shelf and will be read in 2019. But thank there you. you. Hook, spin, buzz, right? Yeah, hook, spin, buzz. Awesome. That will be in the show notes. Arthur, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. This has been totally enlightening, and I'm ready for a part two when we can schedule that in. But thank you so much. Oh, it is my pleasure, Kim. And of course, if you, hey, Kim, I mean, since we're talking about books, if you want to get a really nice book, get my latest book that's on Amazon called The Architects of Extraordinary Team Culture. Awesome. Awesome. Where's the number one place you would send listeners to learn more about you right now? Wow. Probably karmazi.net, C-A-R-M-A-Z-Z-I.net. Fabulous. And listeners, there have been so many URLs flying in, in this episode. They will all be in the show notes, which again, you can find at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP553. Arthur, thank you so much again. Do you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you can share with listeners? A golden nugget. Wow. Well, okay. I mean, fundamentally, whoever you are as a person has a lot of really good stuff and maybe some not so good stuff. But the thing is that if you understand, if you basically just take the time to reflect on where the good stuff comes out, why it comes out, with whom it comes out, you'll be able to find patterns that are going to help you to basically be more of that person that is the good part that you want to be more often than the rest. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level. Ah!